back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping the Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 27th day of December for 2021, the final week of the year. Hope you all had a great holiday weekend, a very happy and safe Christmas we're able to, you know, put some smiles, put some uh, bright cheers on uh, the people, the faces of those that you care about um, during this uh, crazy time. You know, as I, as I said, you know, with everything going on in life, don't don't make Christmas even more. Uh, crazier than it has to be it's the the thought that matters now clearly the sports world it the the thought that matters uh goes pertains there as well when you you take into account that we get the nba and the nfl on christmas every year now you know the nfl has decided to no longer just take the L to the NBA on uh, Christmas Day. But the tradition for Christmas has always been and will always be getting NBA basketball on uh, Christmas Day. And we had you know, quite the entertaining, you know, what's the word you would use for? Like what? what's bigger than quadruple, you know, that, that we had the, the quite the uh, five pack, should we say, of NBA action on uh, Christmas Day. Both of our local uh, teams, the Knicks and the Nets, playing. Uh, also, you know, traditional uh, teams, historic teams like the Boston Celtics and the LA Lakers, and the defending champion uh, Milwaukee Bucks, who. Finally got Giannis Antetokounmpo back after a five-game absence um, from dealing with COVID-19. And listen, it, it looked like Giannis hadn't really missed a beat. It looked like it was what you would tr- uh, normally truly expect from uh, the uh, Greek freak on uh, Saturday afternoon Um you know, a fairly easy performance for him. And, you know, that part of the problem I looked at when it came to uh, this game for the Celtics is, you know, them like every other team in the league, I think there's all of about two teams that don't have 
a player currently on the COVID list, the Suns and you know, one other. But the, the Boston Celtics had to play with only eight available players on Saturday afternoon. Four played at least 37 minutes. Meanwhile, the Bucks were rotating guys in and out. And you know, while Boston got off to a hot start, they were up by as many as 20 at one point in the first half. I, I thought they just got worn down uh, based on the lack of rotation, uh, based on the fact that they had to play some guys that normally would not be out there. Meanwhile, you had you know others for the Bucks step up in big moments. Well, the, you know, the stats don't look great. Bobby Porter's and uh Wesley Matthews came up with big three-pointers late in the game um that helped lead uh the comeback, helped, you know, eventually get the Bucks a lead that they would never look back on. And you no, know, it's just uh, unfortunately now, like everything in the sports world, it's a battle of nutrition. It's a battle of, oh, who's the healthiest at the right time? And the Bucks, outside of having Brooke Lopez out with a back surgery, have pretty much all of their pieces, all of their main parts available to their disposal. And eventually uh, were able to wait out the Celtics and uh come back with the uh, victor now putting them in a spot where they are just and, and i know it's early we're what anywhere between 31 and 35 games um each team has played so far but they're two games back of uh brooklyn for the number one spot in the eastern conference when it comes to uh the playoff standings and you know that's going to become important when it comes to the Nets, if this whole uh, Kyrie Irving thing continues uh, and that they decide to, to bring him back once he clears protocol, I'm still holding out hope that they just decide to give him the middle finger and tell him uh, to get lost due to the fact that they are getting people back uh, and starting to get closer to closer to a healthier lineup and they finally got Harden back for the first time in two weeks on uh, Saturday and he comes out with a you know kind of a virtuoso uh, Harden performance with 36 points in a triple double um, playing 39 minutes against the uh, Lakers and you know looking at that game it was to me you know the Lakers not taking advantage of a beaten up Brooklyn Nets team. Because I mean, you look at the Nets, there were times over the last couple of weeks, they've had all of about eight players available to them. They had, prior to uh, that game, they had, what, three games postponed because they weren't able to meet the league minimum of number of players you have to have available for you um, to suit up for a game. And if, for the Lakers, yeah, I know they're they're dealing with their own issues. But the Nets were running out their, quite frankly, you know, half a G League roster. And for the Lakers to be trailing by 23 at, at one point in this game, get, looking like it was going to be an easy blowout 
for the Nets. Only they have to hold on for their dear lives because the Lakers managed a rally in the fourth quarter. It was kind of shameful for the Lakers. Yeah, they're they're without Anthony Davis dealing with it, an injury. Without they're without Dwight Howard, lacking some real size on that team. Considering uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan has the mobility of a, a stool these days, and you don't want to play LeBron too much at the five in a small lineup. But you you look at the Lakers; they got good production off the bench from Monk and Melo. But Westbrook had the emptiest triple-double you're going to see. Four for 20 from the field. He's missing assignments on defense. Now, he's more concerned about getting his rebounds, make sure he gets his triple-double. Meanwhile, you got uh, Patty Mills wide open on on the the outside of the arc, uh, hitting a, a three that... Turned out to be uh, the dagger uh, for the Nets. Followed that up with uh, uh, Nicholas Claxton's poster on LeBron. You know, it was just another sign of why the Lakers are poorly constructed. Why, you know, they have too much age on that roster. Not enough uh, youthfulness, not enough fresh legs uh, there. And, you know, LeBron can complain all he wants about, oh, they haven't gotten their lineups together. They haven't, you know, had time to truly flow, truly. Everyone is dealing with this in some way, shape, or form. It's not just, you know, a Lakers thing. It's not just a LeBron thing. No, it it's an entire league thing. Hell, it's, it's an entire country, entire world thing. It. Now, it's something that we, unfortunately, we have to adjust to on the fly. And you now for him to be you know, coming out and complaining after these games about you know, having had their entire lineups together, having had the chance to gel because of this, I thought you know, kind of made him a little small and, and did nothing but pour gasoline on the fire to all the, you know, you know, goat conversation for Jordan and all of the Skip Bayless-like LeBron James haters that there are out there in this world. And quite frankly, there are way too many of them, if you ask me. Now, now elsewhere on your Christmas Day, you know, the you know, the same thing we talked about with the uh, Celtics running out of gas probably happened with the Mavericks in the nightcap. You know, being without Luka, uh, having eight players miss the game due to COVID and personal uh, reasons happened uh, with the, the uh, Mavericks. You also uh, saw that, that the uh, Warriors were able to adjust on the fly in uh, the later stages of Saturday evening, uh, you know, yeah, they got 33 from uh, Curry against the Suns. But you know, as we talk about, you got to get performances from uh, the others. And with Wiggins out, with Iguodala out, still waiting on Clay Thompson and Wiseman to show up this season. You got Otto Porter to have 19 off the bench. Now it doesn't hurt too much uh, to uh, 
get this in a game where uh, Devin Booker uh, had an off-shooting night. But my big issue with the Suns on Saturday was uh, the performance of DeAndre Aiden. Because you had a very favorable matchup uh, going up against uh, Looney, who's you know a nice, serviceable big man, but not someone that should be putting in that work against you. That That's a, a matchup that DeAndre Aiden should thrive on. That's a matchup that DeAndre Aiden should dominate. And the fact that he's getting out-rebounded by this guy and only gives uh, the Suns 18 points uh, against uh, a Warriors team that their biggest guy out there was all of six foot nine. I thought was uh, kind of shameful. But you know, you look at the Warriors; they have the best record in the Western Conference. For they, they would be the one seed uh, today if uh, the uh, playoffs began. They're fifteen and three against the Western Conference and have been unbeatable at home. And like we said, we're still, what, nine to ten days out from the debut of Clay Thompson. It's going to take some time for him to wear off the rust, but can you imagine how dangerous this team is going to be when Clay Thompson returns? Going to be unbelievable. And of course, you know, we got to talk about the Knicks, uh, the, their game uh, uh, to start off the day where you know, they got a, a little bit of help or a lot of help, should we say, going up against a Hawks team that was without Trey Young. I mean, the Hawks have been kind of off to kind of a disappointing start uh, this season after you know, last year's um, Reaching uh, the uh, conference finals against the Bucks, and uh, them just like the Knicks are below five hundred and would uh, miss out on the uh, on the postseason if it it started today. Um, as far as you know, the top six spots are concerned, the Hawks would have a play in uh, to be in the play in scenario, but you. You had to figure that this was a spot that the Knicks should win and had to win without Trey Young. And you now watching this game, I know I've made a big thing of it. This theme of oh, you know, Kemba Walker and R.J. Barrett can't play on the court together. Well, I'm going to give Barrett a pass because he he was just coming back from missing a couple weeks uh, due to illness in his own right. But Walker has played all right since they put him back in the lineup. I, I still don't understand. While he wasn't off to a great start in the season, why he was seemingly getting the solo blame for the Knicks' slow start to this year. I mean, you look at Julius Randle wasn't playing like the all-star <coughs> excuse me, that he was last year. They... We're relying on Derek Rose to be their best player. Spent too much time arguing with refs. And here's Thibodeau benching uh, uh, Kemba Walker, taking him out of uh, the uh, rotation. They were two and seven without him. They've been two and two with them. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying that. You no, know, he's been the reason that that they've started to win a couple of games here. But clearly, 
he does provide some kind of spark, uh, even with how limited he is now. And clearly, now there are a better team with him in the lineup rather than without him in the lineup. And, you know, this is a big part of the schedule for the Knicks here because they, they've got four winnable games coming up here. And you look at uh, tomorrow night against the T-Wolves, uh, Wednesday night at the Pistons, Friday at, at the Thunder, and then on Sunday they go uh, across the border and play the Raptors. Four teams that would not be in the postseason if it, it started today. Four teams, including the Pistons, who are off to a god-awful start um, this year, can't, can't get out of their own way at 5-27. and 27. The Knicks, being that they're a better road team than they are home, um, you know, going eight and seven away from Madison Square Garden, go out there and win at least three of these four games. I mean, I don't think that's asking too much for them to win three of four and come back uh, to the Garden uh, next week at just a game below 500. Hell, you'd really be showing me something if you. one all four, but no, I'm going to be generous here and say win three or four because you no, know, as we know, back to backs are difficult, and on any given night, you know, a team could step up and play above their heads. But now that this is a spot for the the Knicks to to start getting their heads above water and getting back to where they should be. We said from the beginning that you know they could improve. And still fall in the standings. But you couldn't just fall off the face of the earth. And miss the postseason uh, this year. Even if you're a wild card uh, team. Or playing team. Whatever we're calling these. Uh, this scenario. They still have to make the playoffs this year. Otherwise last year looked like a complete fluke. Got a lot left to get to for the next about 35-40 minutes here. Uh, give some thoughts on... Uh, all that went down in uh, week 16 of the NFL, including the the final Thursday night game of the season, the Christmas games, uh, some teams that we should be concerned about, teams that locked up uh, their playoff bids, as well as the one positive that you know the COVID-19 pandemic has provided on the sports world. So please sit back. Relax, help put your feet up, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you 
also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Once again, I hope you all had a great Christmas weekend. You know, it felt kind of weird having Christmas on a Saturday. I know it's not one of those holidays like Thanksgiving where it's designed for a certain day, but you know, we always think of you know, Christmas, or at least I think of Christmas as being on a weekday. So whenever it falls on a on a weekend, it it just feels kind of weird because I'm like. I'm already supposed to have today off anyway. What what am I supposed to do with myself other than open presents? And hey, the patience of yours truly paid off because six weeks of waiting and I finally got to open the PlayStation 5 that I ordered in mid-November. So there's that. You know, to make sure you know, I keep having football in my life even when... Uh, you know the the uh, Thursday night games uh, come to an end as they did uh, uh, last week with um, you know two teams that one in the Titans that I had been concerned about in recent weeks just because of all of the turnovers that they had and you now the fact that they had the Colts right on their rear end for uh, the uh, division and the Forty ers who I really wanted to believe in. The 49ers, a team that I was looking at and said, hey, you know, maybe even if they don't come all the way back and win the NFC West, they could at least be a pain in the ass in the postseason. And then Thursday night happened and re- remind me, as as much as I you know respect the guy's ability and look at him as you know a viable starting quarterback in this league, Thursday night once again proved that there are limitations when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo and why at times we need to calm the hell down with the Jimmy G nickname. Because, you know, the 49ers should have been up by 24 um, points at halftime. The, the Titans had nothing going for them. They, they were moving the football up and down the field at will. Debo Samuel was having another fantastic game as uh, that, you know, kind of uh, utility star player for them. But Garoppolo misses a wide open Kyle Juszczyk down the sidelines um, for a touchdown that, no, he could have ran through the streets of Tennessee with. And then the the two interceptions he had uh, were awful. The first, he throws a pick in the end zone to uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins. That would have put him up by two touchdowns in the first quarter. And then gave the, the Titans new life in the third quarter when he throws a, a pick in uh, their territory to Hooker that 
gave uh, Tennessee a short field uh, to play with. And we're talking about a Titans team that had 40 yards of offense in the first half. But the, the turnovers and the mistakes by Garoppolo uh, brought them to life, gave them energy. And this is a team that, you know, outside of one drive, didn't have Julio Jones on Thursday. They're still waiting for Derrick Henry to come back. And now you know, provided them a little bit of a spark at a time that they uh, probably needed it. With the, the Colts breathing right down their neck, the Colts, who, you know, Saturday night continued two streaks. You had the streak continue as far as the Colts are concerned, you know, just going out there winning games. It's It hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been, you know, going out there and blowing people's doors off. And you know, they're not making any complaints about the the hand that's dealt to them. Saturday, they're without their best uh, defensive player in Darius Leonard. And you know, they come into the game without three-fifths of their starting offensive line, lose Eric Fisher as the game's going on. And still Jonathan Taylor had a field day running all over uh, the uh, Cardinals. You know, mixing uh, some good things by uh, Carson Wentz there and some uh, poor special teams uh, by the Cardinals. And the Colts were able to keep their winning streak alive while the Cardinals were handed their third straight loss. And, you know, think about it. About a month ago, they're without Kyler Murray. They're winning games that you wouldn't expect them to do with arguably the best backup quarterback in the sport in Colt McCoy. And now they've lost three games in a row and have allowed the Los Angeles Rams to take back the lead in the NFC West. Now the problem with the Rams and the reason why I don't exactly trust them, don't believe in them in any way, shape, or form, is the inconsistencies of Matthew Stafford, who, he's a good starting quarterback. Hell, at, at times he's probably played like a Pro Bowl starting quarterback, and but a guy that I've been a fan of when he was with Detroit, thought that, oh, you get a better coaching staff and a better run organization around him, you can win with him. But he has shown that there are faults in his game. You know, Saturday being the biggest example, why? You're playing a Vikings team that, you know, they're one of those teams you talk about that they don't suck, but they're not exactly that good. Yet you can't, you, you never know what you're getting out of the Vikings on a, on a given week. But he throws three interceptions against uh, the Vikings, uh, two to start on um, back-to-back drives to start the second half, you know, allowing the Vikings right back in this game while you're seemingly running the football with Will. Cooper Cup is continuing this historic season uh, he's having. No, I can't, even though they're right there in the mix for the one seed, I can't trust the Rams uh, the, to... Uh, truly be a relevant, viable Super Bowl contender with the inconsistencies that Matthew Stafford has. Because he's not on the level of, um, of Brady. He's not on the level of 
Aaron Rodgers. Right now, you look at the the NFC, and to me, it's three teams that could come out of it and go to the Super Bowl between the Bucks, the Cowboys, and the Packers. You know, the Buccaneers, you look you look at them, they probably have the deepest team of offensive talent. When you consider the fact that they've lost Chris Godwin for the year to a torn ACL, but Antonio Brown comes back after a three-game suspension and plays great yesterday. You have guys like uh, Cyril Grayson come out of nowhere and have 80 yards for him. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn um, have 70 rushing yards and a touchdown when they were without Leonard Fournette. Now, it makes it easier when you have the greatest quarterback uh, in the history of the sport and you're going against a Carolina Panthers team that is in total disarray to have these kind of weapons come to life. But the Buccaneers are showing that they have a lot of different ways to beat you on offense. They have a, a tremendous pass rush, something that the Packers can't consistently say. But what the Packers can look at you and say is, hey, we've got arguably the MVP of the sport right now in Aaron Rodgers, who just set another franchise record on, on Saturday, passing far for the um, most uh, passing touchdowns in the history of the Packers franchise. And we're, now, the, you would have thought with how great Aaron Rodgers is that he would have passed this by now. But that, once again, shows us as much of a clown as he was the last couple of years of his career, how great Brett Favre was that it took Rodgers up until this point to uh, set this record. It does make it a little bit easier when you have uh, the best wide receiver in the sport in Devontae Adams as your your teammate but uh, the packers you know right now if the postseason began today the nfc playoffs would run through lambeau field now they had that last year and we saw how it worked out against uh the buccaneers but they may have one more challenger that they have to deal with as this thing goes along as we continue on because now, last night, the Cowboys' offense woke up. The Cowboys, uh, you know, whatever slump Dak Prescott was in, it got cleared right away going up against the Washington football team. That does does help when the most fight that the Washington football team showed all night was between Jonathan Allen and uh, De'Aaron Payne um, on the sidelines. Uh, as the Cowboys are putting up 500 yards of offense and scoring 42 points in the first half. But the Cowboys, you look look at them. They've gotten Demarcus Lawrence back, who had a, a crazy pick six uh, the, in the, the first half. You still got Stephon, I mean, uh, Trayvon Diggs there, excuse me. You got Micah Parsons uh, playing like the defensive player of the year. If this offense is going to come back to life and they get anything out of Ezekiel Elliott, they're going to be a very tough out in the NFC postseason. Now, ifs is something we talk about a lot with the Cowboys. but And maybe I'm, I could be proven wrong when it's all said and done. But 
for some reason, something feels different about this year's Dallas Cowboys. No, I don't know if it's you know the way this defense is playing, the you no know, this bet that the defense has going on with the offense of what happens more between week 15 and the rest of the season, offensive touchdowns or uh, defensive takeaways. If it's Dak uh, being fully healthy, fully back from injury, or being able to overcome, constantly overcome the uh, um, the short-sightedness uh, and uh, problems that Mike McCarthy uh, brings as a head coach. But this Cowboys team, in the past, we've seen them lay eggs against teams that they should beat. And you know, so far, they have not done that. Now, the last two weeks against the Cardinals and Eagles could prove to uh, to uh, differ that outcome. But this year, it feels like a different Dallas Cowboys team where you, know, you expect them or should expect them to be a real threat in the postseason rather than a disappointment that's going to lay an egg, especially at home. Start going through the uh, the rest of the games coming up. Going to take one more break. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Quick reminder of the places that you can find this podcast on social media. On Twitter, it's at Sports, as well as my personal Twitter account, at M.Rosansky. That's at M-T-H-R-E-E-R-O-Z-A-N-S-K-Y at M. Thorosansky. On Instagram, uh, it's at keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore M3. And of course, there's the Facebook page, facebook.com slash keeping it sports with M3. The three places that you'll find the podcast links at all times on uh, social media. Now, I mentioned the Packers um, before as far as uh, being one of the favorites in the NFC postseason. But they came away with uh, a a victory on Saturday night. And their win was kind of the backstory. You know, know, Rodgers breaking Favre's record, clinching uh, 
the NFC North uh, division title, which I don't think anyone ever had any doubts about. The, the real story, the real headline from that game came from the opposition, came from the loser, and that was the Cleveland Browns, and that was the continued questions about whether Baker Mayfield is truly the long-term future with this Cleveland Browns franchise. Because to say he was awful on Saturday night was an understatement. He threw, he threw his team out of the game. This was, you know, the Browns were running the football at about a nine yards per carry clip. You know, they, they ran it right down the Packers' throat. Yet Mayfield, especially in the first half, threw the game away from them. Threw three interceptions in a span of four drives in, in the first half, all either at midfield or in uh, Packers' territory. All three were resulted in uh, touchdown drives for Green Bay and would put the the bow on top of the gift with a second interception by Rasul Douglas uh, on his final pass of the game with about 50 seconds uh, to go, killing any chance of completing uh, the comeback. And, you know, you look at the defense for the most part played all right. Nick Chubb had a very good game uh, running for over nine, for you know, eight yards of carry in this game. Yet Mayfield blew it. And you know, this is maybe they're still, they were still reeling off of playing on Tuesday, the heartbreak of losing to the Raiders on a last second field goal. But I mean, you look at this. This Browns uh, squad uh, right now, you know, they had a golden opportunity in front of them to, you know, make the postseason and potentially even win the AFC North. When you look at some of the issues that the the other teams were going through, whether it be with the Baltimore Ravens, the fact that they've now lost four games in a row. Go into Cincinnati and get smoked by Joe Burrow and the Bengals. You know, with Burrow's record set in performance, and that coming after Wink Martindale's um, unnecessary comments again about you know not ready to buy a gold jacket for Joe Burrow, saying that he that everyone should basically calm down with the Joe Burrow hype, if you want to call it that. Or the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers have never seemingly gotten out of their own way. Them going to Kansas City and getting smoked by the Chiefs yesterday. The opportunity was right there in front of the Cleveland Browns to not just be a playoff team, but to win this division. And instead, now Baker Mayfield has thrown that away. And he's... He's not entirely at fault. You know, early in the season, they were they felt like a team in disarray with the fact that you have this piece there in Odell Beckham that didn't fit the team and that was somewhat affecting them offensively where you always felt like, oh, we got to force the issue um, 
and getting the ball to Odell, keep him happy when really they should be leading with their ground attack and everything else should be complementary to go along with that defense. And you know, now we're looking at them where, you know, essentially they're playing for their season next Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers where they lose, they're going to be done. They win, they're going to need a lot of things to go right, a lot of things to go in their favor to get them into the postseason. And this was a team that many people, including yours truly, thought that they were one of the top four contenders for the not just the AFC championship, but to come out of the AFC and represent them in the Super Bowl this coming year. Damn, were we ever wrong about that one? Uh, the A team that is starting to look like a Super Bowl contender once again is the Buffalo Bills, who retook control of the AFC East yesterday. Now, the they were without some pieces due to uh, COVID, of course. Um, but you now Josh Allen, after a couple of weeks ago, what was a disappointing performance uh, against uh, the Patriots um, in Buffalo, was able to rebound with a, a great game uh, against the Patriots in Foxborough. And I love the aggressiveness of the Bills. The fact that you know, unlike where with the Chargers, you've seen them go for a lot of stupid fourth down attempts as of late. The Bills realizing that no, we got to keep piling on points here. We can't, you know, let the Patriots have any life. Can't let the Patriots uh, have a, even a slither of hope, especially not with a. Uh, uh, arguably the best head coach in the history of sports on the uh, opposing sidelines. Every every time the Patriots close this to within a one-score gap in the second half, the Bills immediately had an answer. And it wasn't just all Allen to Diggs all day. Allen did a a little bit of work on his own on the ground, smartly picking the right times to run with the football. But now, you had this guy, Isaiah McKenzie, come out of nowhere and have a breakout game in place of Cole Beasley. That, along with some of the, the uh, you know, bad breaks that went the Patriots' way. You know, Mac Jones throws two interceptions that not, weren't necessarily his fault. You know, both, both of them were, were tipped, but killed any chances of rallies for the Patriots. And what turned out to be a game-deciding moment you get to the fourth quarter. The Patriots have closed it within 26-21 at uh, this point. But halfway through the quarter, and um, Buffalo's starting a drive. Josh Allen uh, drops back and throws one right to J.C. Jackson. That would have been, I don't know if it would have been a pick six, but was a very catchable interception. That he just dropped that I'm sure J.C. Jackson is thinking about at practice today. And, you know, it was a win that the Bills needed to have 
give them confidence going into the postseason, give them control back control of the AFC East, a division that they should win now. When you look at their final two games, um, both at home against the Falcons and the Jets, those are two games that, if you're a Bills fan, you got to feel pretty good about your chances of winning and hosting a uh, a first-round playoff matchup. I mean, winning the number one seed in the AFC is out of the question at this point. you got three teams to jump over, and Kansas City just looks like men possessed right now, especially with getting a lot of their players uh, healthy back on defense. And you know, as long as they have you know, not just Mahomes, but Kelsey and Hill, they're going to be a damn near impossible feat for anybody to uh, deal with in the AFC. But no, offensively, at least, the Bills might be the most well-equipped team to deal deal with them. You know that they've already gone up and uh, beating the Chiefs once in Arrowhead this year. Who says they can't do it twice? Now, a, a couple of teams that I, I uh, look at, you know, when it comes to uh, these postseason races in the AFC, and I kind of just scratch my head with, are the Raiders and the Chargers. The Raiders, I don't understand how the Raiders are still alive because they feel like that cat with nine lives, where every time you think that they're dead, they seemingly come back to life and give themselves a, a second lease on things. You know, yesterday they they were very lucky that they were going up against the Denver Broncos team. Anyone else and they have those three turnovers uh, in the in the fashion that they did especially um on back-to-back drives in, in the second quarter. They're probably a, a dead man walk. But Drew Locke, who's clearly not an NFL co- caliber quarterback was not able to get anything going against the Raiders they were able to control the time of the clock um, enough with uh, uh, Josh Jacobs on the ground to uh, keep themselves at least alive at least in the mix for the seventh seed in the playoffs for another week and that's really all they're they're playing for right now because depending on the outcome of uh, the Dolphins against the Saints tonight on Monday Night Football. You right now have three teams at eight and seven. Somehow, somewhere the Steelers are technically still alive at seven, seven, and and one. You have the Patriots and Colts at nine and six, and the, those are your teams right now battling out for wild card spots. And the Colts and Patriots, remember. They're looking at bigger things here. They're, they're saying, we don't want to just settle for wild cards. We want to be division winners. So, really, you've got the Ravens, Chargers, Raiders, and Dolphins, and I guess if you want to throw them in there, the Steelers, competing for one spot. You look at the Ravens, you know, they're without Lamar Jackson uh, right now, and John Harbaugh is seemingly making a Jim Harbaugh-like decision every week. 
the Raiders, every time you want to believe in them, they uh, uh, have something crazy off the field take place. The Steelers, who knows what you get out of them on, on a given week. The Dolphins have won seven in a row, but or six in a row, excuse me, but it's been against uh, less than impressive uh, opposition. And then there's the Chargers. Two weeks ago, I'm sitting here talking about how we're coming up on the game of the year where they could overtake Kansas City for the division lead. And since then, they they blow a fourth quarter lead at home to uh, those very Chiefs. And yesterday, go to Houston and get their doors blown off by the Texans. Let's face it, that, that game in the second half was not as competitive as the final score says it was. Now, now Herbert is allowed a bad day every once in a while. The the second interception was I mean the first interception was more of you know just bad luck. He now he was throwing a deep bomb and got picked off right before the end zone. The second one it, it seemed like he threw it right to Thomas. But the Chargers, you look at them and you thought that you know maybe they might be a dangerous out in the AFC postseason. How as we sit here right now they may not even make the playoffs, and that'd be a shame they, to not get Herbert on the historic pace that he's going on right now into uh, the playoffs. Now, what works in their favor is the last couple of weeks of the season, it's all in-division matchups for them against uh, the Broncos and Raiders, and hopefully for their sake, they can take care of business there. But now this is what you want in football. This is what you want in any sport. You want it coming down to the wire in these playoff races. You want it where you're looking in those final couple of weeks and there'd be still so much up for grabs. Now, I mentioned what's going on in the AFC side as far as uh, the, the wild card seedings and, and division races where... It's still just a one-game lead um, for Tennessee over the Colts in the South. Uh, the Bengals hold a one-game lead over the Ravens in the North. Buffalo and New England are essentially tied for the top with uh, Buffalo owning the tiebreaker. And then as many as four, could be tonight five, teams at eight and seven uh, at least eight and seven in the mix for uh, playoff races. So you still have all but three teams in the AFC still alive for the playoffs. And in, in the NFC, you still technically have 11, although I think we can write off Washington and Atlanta. You still have four teams competing for two spots. So it's going to create a lot of fun in these final two weeks, a lot of scoreboard watching, something that typically you only reserve for baseball season. Got to take one last break, come back on the other side, and close things up for this week in Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, with all of this excitement going on in the sports world, with the NBA at full flux, with the NFL nearing the postseason, it's been great distractions for what goes on in real life, being recorded stuff, you know, such, such as you know, the pandemic that we are battling. And I mentioned earlier, as much as the pandemic sucks, as heartbreaking as it's been to see so many people lose their lives, people lose loved ones, people lose uh, their businesses, there has been one positive on the sports end of things. I mean, two actually. One, I think it makes us appreciate more these things because think back to the the spring and early summer of 2020 where it all disappeared and we didn't know when the world of sports and entertainment were going to come back. But also, you know, with this variant that's out there that's, you know, unfortunately spreading uh, like hotcakes, thankfully it's no, less mi- it's more mild than uh, previous uh, variants that have been out there for this. And it's affected the NBA so much so. I think we've seen somewhere between 80 and 90 players go on the health and safety protocols uh, reserve list in the last like two weeks alone. It's led to a lot of players that we forgot about coming back into the league and you know getting another chance to shine, getting another chance uh, to you know prove themselves and show themselves as a viable option for a team. Like last week, forty-year-old Joe Johnson comes back with the Boston Celtics. The, remember, he started his career with the Celtics. The last time he played for them, I was in middle school back in 2002. It has been, you know, a long damn time. You, you saw, you've seen Isaiah Thomas a come, make a comeback with uh, the Lakers. You've seen, you know, a lot of veteran players who we thought. Um, 
were you know done and out of the league um be able to get a second chance at their career so much so that it's leading guys to now going on social media and almost promote themselves as options promote themselves as hey is there any chance that you know I could get back in the sport any anybody want to give me a try like you uh you're seeing uh Michael Beasley was posting on uh, Twitter or Instagram a couple of days ago. J.R. Smith's been uh, posting things. We've seen so many of these guys come out of what's seeming retirement with all these 10-day contracts. You know, Darren Collison hadn't played in the league in two years. Uh, C.J. Miles had been out of the league since the the 2019-2020 season. Lance Stevenson, who... Would you believe that Lance Stevenson is still only 31 years old? And now he's back with the Hawks. Uh, Brandon Knight, the, uh, the Mavericks had to sign him to have enough players to play. I mean, it, it's it's crazy what's going on, but it's it's provided us a little bit of enjoyment in seeing some viable NBA players make comebacks when we thought they were gone. I mean, Jamal Crawford must truly be retired for him to have not gotten, you know, at least a phone call or at least not a 10-day contract with somebody right now. Because you would think that that would be the first person on most people's minds if they they need a guard. I I thought that he was going to play till 50 years old, and seemingly he must have had enough. I'm I'm surprised that with how his career ended that. You know, with the pandemic ending Vince Carter's career, that he didn't get the itch to make a, even a ten-day comeback, or that even though he was slightly overrated during his NBA play, um, uh, that Jeremy Lin hasn't gotten at least a crack with uh, one of these teams. But uh, it has been, you know, enjoyable to see some guys that you thought were gone. Um, make a, uh, in some cases, triumphant return to the league. I mean, uh, little Isaiah Thomas, I felt so bad for him with the injuries that he had to deal with. And now that he's back in the sport, uh, you know, getting a, a second chance, he's never going to make up for the money he lost out on uh, due to the hip injuries, but it, it is good to see him getting to continue his playing career. Um, also, with all this going on, you f- you forget that baseball's in a lockout. Hopefully, as we enter 2021, you know, the owners and the players' association realize that hey, we're doing just fine without you guys right now. We're not concerned about uh, the, your scenario. So, anytime you want to stop acting like big babies and I don't know, get your sport uh, back in the limelight, get you know, free agency get going. I don't know. Uh, have a return date and when you're going to show us that you're going to have spring training start on time. You know, we'll welcome you back. But until then, we really don't give a damn about you, baseball, because the NBA has gotten off to a hot start, even with all the players um, missing action at times. 
due to COVID or due to injury. The NFL's got an exciting finish coming. Hell, college football, you've got the 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 semifinals of the college football playoff coming up uh, the, starting this Friday. And hopefully, you know, unlike what you've seen uh, with a couple of these bowl games, the pandemic doesn't ravage either of these games, causing forfeits. Because the last thing you would want to see is a champion declared uh, due to forfeits, due to the fact that that you know one team didn't have enough players to suit up. If you know if a champion de- gets declared, especially if it's someone other than Alabama, you want them to truly earn it. You want them to truly say that oh. We've earned this. We are the rightful champions and that nobody has any excuses to make about uh, how things went. Now, because I like to torture myself and they are the angst of my existence and I'm a season ticket holder, I went to the Jets game yesterday. Was a little bit late. Didn't feel like tailgating for personal reasons. But uh, was able to get uh, in there just in time to watch Zach Wilson run down the sidelines for a 52-yard touchdown run that would set up, that was a very good day for Zach. You know, the last couple of games, while the numbers haven't been eye-popping, what you like from Wilson is that he hasn't been turning the football over. He's uh, been... More aware, uh, more conscious on protecting the football, and that's you know something that uh, a young quarterback has to learn. Every young quarterback has to go through. But the Jets, even without Robert Sala, uh, were had a game plan. They were able to stick to it, you know, with a dominant ground attack, especially uh, Michael Carter's first hundred-yard uh, rushing game of his career. And the, the fact that uh, Braxton Berrios provided a little bit of energy with that kickoff uh, return in the second quarter, we're able to provide me with the probably last happy day that I'll have at MetLife Stadium until hopefully next year because you know, the remaining games are are tough against uh, the Buccaneers and then uh, going up to Buffalo to play the Bills. You wouldn't expect them to win either of those games. But you you could not lose to a Jaguars team that had lost seven in a row coming into this game. That is clearly trying to tank to get the number one overall pick um, once again. And while he wasn't involved in what's the clear tanking, you know, Trevor Lawrence made some boneheaded uh, decisions yesterday that I thought cost Jacksonville. You know, with with the Jets listening too much to the fans and going for it on seemingly every, every fourth down instead of kicking field goals, it kept things to a one-score game in the final couple of minutes. And Lawrence was able to drive J- the Jaguars down uh, in a scenario that you thought they were going to get the go-ahead touchdown in the final couple seconds. But here's the problems that he made. A, running out of bounds on the five-yard line uh, at the end of that 26-yard run. You know, it's one thing if you've got, you know, Leonard Williams or, you know, some 
big 300-pound defensive lineman running at you or Leonard's older brother Quincy, who's um, had a good season for the Jets, um, coming at you, looking to run over you like a Mack truck. You've got a 5'10", 175-pound corner in Brandon Eccles in your way. You're Trevor Lawrence. You weigh 50 pounds more than the guy, and you've got at least a 6-inch height advantage on him. Lower your shoulder and run his ass over instead of running out of bounds and avoiding contact. And then later in the drive, as the the clock is running, you just get a completion to go down to the one-yard line. The Jets' defense is in disarray, and you give them a chance by spiking the football, leaving yourself with a fourth-down do-or-die play. I just thought was kind of... No, boneheaded by uh, Lawrence there. He had a a chance to win the game twice and kind of uh, gave it right back to the Jets. Now, along with the Jets' win, I know it hurt their their chances of moving up in the draft due to the fact that the, the Texans won yesterday and if the Jets had lost, they would have been number three overall. What was good for the Jets is that Nick Foles led the Chicago Bears in a victory over the Saints in Seattle yesterday, gave, um, keeping that draft pick for the Jets right now in the number seven position, if um, I've got things uh, listed here correctly. But it was a rare spot where you had the Jets and Giant fans going up against each other without either one of their teams being involved in the game. Because that law, that win for the Bears actually hurt the Giants because it it pushed the Bears pick back to eight, putting them behind the Jets as far as their second picks in the first round are concerned. Now, the Giants are also going to have a top five pick because I wouldn't expect them to win another game this year with how dismal and pathetic they look. I've spent the last couple of weeks saying, oh, why not play Jake Fromm? Yesterday was the clear example of why you don't play Jake Fromm. Because he had as bad a day as you're ever going to see from a quarterback. 25 total yards of offense from Jake Fromm before he got benched in the third quarter. And it was only a one-score game when he got benched. That's how bad he was playing, that they thought that, oh, Mike Glennon would give him a better chance at winning this game and keeping it competitive. And even he was uh, uh, not much of an improvement. You think about that game for the Giants yesterday. It was 3-3 at halftime, and they get smoked 34-10. They had no offense whatsoever. Didn't even reach 200 yards of total offense, and the Eagles ran the football down their throat in the second half. Uh, Now, the the bigger issue is for the Giants is the grander scheme of things. The report that came out yesterday about the fact that, in all likelihood, you're going to be bringing back both Daniel Jones and Joe Judge next year. And, you know, I've got no problem with the Daniel Jones thing because, yeah, he's dealt with injuries this year. Just has been the theme for the first two years of his career, not playing a full season. But 
he's coming up on the fourth year of his rookie contract. You're in salary cap hell, so you're not going to be trading for one of these star quarterbacks. You've got to figure out what um, you're doing with this guy before a good quarterback draft class comes up because now this draft coming up is more about edge rushers, uh, secondary players, and offensive linemen. There's not that quarterback that's popping off the screens that everybody's going goo goo gaga all over and saying, oh, you got to draft this guy. My bigger problem is bringing back Joe Judge because in all likelihood, you're going to have a new general manager. You know, with Dave Gettleman either getting fired or re- most likely retiring. You're going you're gonna to saddle this guy with Joe Judge, who the only thing he seemingly does is be good for a good uh, for a cliche here and there. I mean, he looks totally lost, especially when he's up at the podium after these games saying, oh, it's disappointing, but I love the fight out of these guys. Yeah, what has that fight gotten you over at least this last month? I mean, hell, that fight... So far as an NFL head coach has gotten you a 10 and 21 record. And as Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record once uh, said you are. Or no, you are what your record says you are to clean that up a little bit. No, just look no further than your tenants in your building, the New York Jets, and how having organizational disarray can set you back years. I mean, you look at this, you know, you look at the Jets scenario where years ago they fired Mike um, Tannenbaum, kept Rex Ryan, and bring in John Isaac. Then they fired them both at the same time, bring in Mike McCagnet and, um, as the new general manager and Todd Bowles. Eventually, Todd Bowles gets fired. The owner chooses the next head coach, rather than letting Mike McCagnin choosing his guy. I think he would have chosen Matt Rule. The the owner, that bonehead Christopher Johnson, chose Adam Gase. And four months into his hiring, Adam Gase got uh, Mike McCagnin fired. He brings in his own general um, manager in Joe Douglas before he eventually gets fired. And Joe Douglas brings in Robert Sala. Uh, because ownership finally realizes that we're going to let the general manager and the head coach do their jobs and run things the way they see fit. The Giants, meanwhile, since uh, letting go of Tom Coughlin, have just been obsessed with this idea of always bringing in somebody that has some kind of giant ties and doing things backwards, whether you fire the general manager and keep a head coach or that new GM comes in and they got fired at the same time as the, the next head coach. There hasn't been that, you know, you hire a GM who's a real football guy, has no ties to you, just is the best guy possible, and then hires his own guy as the head coach. It's it's been just John Mara who, when he's not concerned about, oh, the uh, the taunting penalties, choosing people with giant ties, and that's kind of set the Giants back, set them to a point where they've made the playoffs one time 
since winning their last Super Bowl. This was once a proud football team, once a proud franchise in the NFL. And now they have become as much of a laughing stock as their co-MetLife stadium tenant, the New York Jets is. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, December 27th, 2021. Everyone have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Have a happy, joyous New Year's Eve. Don't do anything stupid. Hope you stay healthy, whatever you're doing. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Happy New Year, everyone. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Not least. I'll be back.